chapter. Actually, Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Let's start with Genesis. Genesis chapter 9. So we are just going to keep on moving because we have a lot to accomplish tonight in this study. Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish, which means to fill, to replenish, fill the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, as we look at your word this evening, I pray God you'd open up our understanding as we look at this subject, that's a very, very important subject. Open up our understanding, help us see things from your perspective. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, I wanted to begin a series on the subject of Pentecostalism, and I've, I've wanted to do this for a long time, and it's come up several times. And actually, to be honest with you, when you think about it, most people who come to our church don't come from a Catholic background. Of course, you would love to see more and more converted Catholics. But honestly, most people who come to our church come from a, a, a Pentecostal background. And so we need to know what the issues are for ourselves and to help them. We need to have a biblical perspective, and there are several... Uh, there are several elements that, come, that, that Pentecostalism raises, several issues, and one of them is the subject of tongues, and so we want to deal with it. It's, it's the main subject, to be honest with you, although it doesn't always seem that way, it really is the main subject historically. So I'm going to talk about tongues this evening, we're going to talk about where they came from, where they're going, what happens, I have lots of questions that so I'm going to answer this evening. By the way, if you want to stop me in the middle and ask questions, if I don't have the answer, I will write it down and we'll get an answer for you. Because I want you to have answers. The Bible says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man to ask a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. You want to know what the Bible says on these subjects and you need, to be, you need to know your Bibles. So by the end of this evening, I hope we can know our Bibles better. I'm going to try and give you a ton of information in 45 minutes. Okay, so let's take it all in. Okay, so... Tongues. After 1900 years of silence, how did tongues reemerge? Now, let me just say this. There are two different groups of people. There are people who are cessationists and non-cessationists. And non-cessationists say, no, tongues have, did, never died out. They're still here. Cessationists say they did. But it's really difficult to be a non-cessationist because they did die out. Historically, they did die out. They just did. Okay? And uh, let me explain why they, how they emerged because the, the reemergence of tongues is really the birthplace of Pentecostalism. They all say that. So how could they die out if they came out back in the 1900s? Let me ex go through the history very quickly. Before the turn of the last century, so we're talking about the end of the 1890s, a man called Charles Parham was convinced that the spirit was about to be poured out. Now, there were revivals in the, 19, in the early 20th century, so God did work wonderfully. But this man, Charles Parham, was convinced that that was going to happen. A lot of people were praying. There was a holiness movement that was going around in the 1880s. He founded a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, where, he, uh, where on the first day of the 20th century, January the 1st, 1901. So January 1st, 1901. This is like written in stone. Agnes Osmond spoke in an unknown tongue. Some say it was Chinese. Now, this is history. All the books record January the 1st, 1901, Agnes Osmond spoke in tongues. Now, if that's recorded in history and her name is given and like it's inscribed, what does that tell you about tongues? Immediately. 
How did it come out of it then? It wasn't before that. There were no tongues before that, apart from right back in biblical times, okay? So this is big news, okay? Parham moved to Houston, Texas, set up another school. Parham taught that in every instance of the Holy Spirit filling, God would give the believer the ability to speak in a foreign tongue, okay? A foreign language for the purpose of evangelism. Now, let me say this again. Parham, this was the guy who started the ball rolling really in this subject. He went around teaching that in every instance where the Holy Spirit filled someone, God would give that individual the ability to speak in a foreign tongue for the purpose of evangelism. Where did he get that from? He made it up. Because you can't put it from the scripture whatsoever. Okay? In 1906, a preacher called William Seymour was invited to speak on spiritual awake on spiritual awakening, the subject of spiritual awakening, and he brought a message that equated the spirit, the filling of the spirit with tongues to that of the church. The holiness movement, who were praying for that pouring of the Holy Spirit, condemned the message and shut him out of the church. He was invited to the home of a sympathetic church member on April the 9th, 1906. Suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, Seymour and seven other men were knocked from their chairs to the floor and he spoke in tongues and gathered crowds. Again, that's historically recorded. Seymour and his followers found an unused sanctuary at 312 Azusa Street. Have you ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? Some of you have. That's the history behind it, okay? While the press jeered, now, let's do a contrast here. During revival times in England, Spurgeon and others were preaching the press would print their sermons. Azusa Street, they were jeering. And for three years, the Azusa Street revival continued. Interesting, then, this is really interesting, Parham was the one who influenced Seymour. Seymour went around speaking on the subject of, of uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit equals speaking in tongues and said other things. Parham went to see what happened to Seymour and he condemned it. Sorry, just to... Yes. The press jeered. Obviously, they didn't jeer Spurgeon. They printed the sermons. Mm -hmm. You've got to think about why they were jeering them. That's that was the type of languages they were using because it was very unorthodox behavior. They were falling on floors. They were they were slain in the spirit. All that type of stuff was going on here. Okay. So the serious press didn't take it seriously. No, not at all. Okay. Now listen to what Parham said. Now, he was the one who started the ball rolling. He he went to the he went to see what was going on, and he said this is uh, this is spiritual power prostituted but he didn't believe in it he didn't uh, who started the ball rolling he didn't believe in it other revivalists who saw the welsh revival in 1904 went over there and they didn't believe it either okay so i just want you to realize that not everybody back then just people think oh people there's this historical malaise over there it's confusing where people say oh you don't believe in this azusa street revival oh, you can't be you can't believe in the holy spirit no 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 hold on a second there was a whole revival going on on the other side of the world. And people went over there, but from one side to the other and said, uh -uh, this is not spiritual, this is not Christian, this is not biblical. So eyewitnesses testified, many were slain in the spirit, in a trance-like slate, buckling to the floor unconscious. Where previous revivals were marked by conversions, Azusa Street was marked by baptism of tongues. It was so marked by healings, it was also marked by healings, miracles, and tongues, according to Wikipedia. Uh, I've already mentioned it, I don't know why I said that. Okay, Azusa Street birthed a Pentecostalism that spread rapidly throughout the world, began its advance towards becoming a major force in Christendom, which included shouting and dancing. And this is new. 
Shouting and dancing didn't happen in, in revivals, in previous revivals. It's a whole new thing. The LA Times stated, devotees of this weird doctrine practice the most fanatical, sorry, sorry devotees of the weird doctrine practice, that's a verb, practice the most fanatical rites, preach the wildest theories, and work themselves into a state of mad excitement. So, obviously, in contrast to previous revivals, this revival is not getting any good press. Now, let me talk about the Welsh revival. The Welsh revival that happened about a year before, uh, during that Welsh revival, the press was recording that people were, were bringing back tools that they'd stolen from Harland and Wolf, and they had to build sheds to bring it back, and it was a positive sign. This press was like, this is, this is strange, this is weird, okay? A similar movement began in Chile a, a year previously in 1905, primarily through though the movement is built upon the assumption. Here's the assumption of this whole movement of Azusa Street. The assumption is that tongues are for today, and they believe that tongues have been resurrected. They believe that Agnes Osman, and then again William Seymour, resurrected tongues under the teaching and the tutelage of Charles Parham, who looked at it and said, this is not of God, which is so ironic, isn't it? Now, Here's the question I want to ask you. So there's the history of Pentecostalism as we know it today. Let me ask you a question. Do you think professing Christians are the only ones that speak in tongues? No, no, no. No. That's true. One definition used by linguists is the fluid uh, vocalizing of speech-like syllables that lack any readily comprehended meaning. In some cases, as part of religious practice, some believe it is a divine language. That's one definition of tongues that are used today. Tongues is very common in Pentecostal Christian worship services, but it has also occurred in other sects of Christianity, as well as in, in other religious religions and cults. The Mormons believe in tongues, and they speak in tongues, okay? And pagans and the shamans. Shamans, do you know what shamans are? Witch doctors. They believe in tongues. They speak in tongues. And, J J and Japan's God Light Association. Don't know who they are, but it was is mentioned. Now, 1972, year I was born, William J. Samarin, a linguist from the University of Toronto, published a thorough assessment of Pentecostal tongues and snake handlers of the Appalachians. So he looked them all together. The reason why he looked them all together, because he said they sounded the exact same. And he's doing it. He took recordings and he assessed them. And he said this though the tongues were not decipherable, he found that the pattern resembled their mother tongue. In other words, the pattern of their intonations, how they spoke, sounded like the language they spoke, except there weren't real words coming out. It was, they were made up sounds taken from those that the speaker knows. Other linguists who studied recordings of non Christian rituals from Africa. Borneo, Indonesia, and Japan concluded that there was no distinction between what was practiced by the Pentecostal Protestants and the followers of other religions, pagan and otherwise. Exact same. Okay. So simply put, linguists who've studied this have determined that these tongues of religious groups, Christian and non, okay, because they put them all together, so we're going to put them all together, are merely made up and meaningless, unstructured speech. So they're just not real words, it's just made up. That's what linguists have, have concluded. 
And regardless of religion, in extreme cases, tongues and snake handlers go together. And that's, I watched a video of the Appalachian. Have, has anybody seen the videos of snake handlers who actually were bitten and died? Has anybody seen that? No, some of you have that. You just Google it. Snake handlers who died. Because it, it goes together in extreme cases. Okay. Now, in summary, professing Christians are not the only ones to claim tongues. So, if you think for a second, oh, I hear people, this is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Hold on and let's look at the facts. The facts are, professing Christians are not the only ones that do it, and the sounds are the exact same. Slavists have studied it and they said it's all the same. They put it all in the same category. So let's not put this down to being something that's Christian until we've examined it thoroughly. Would you agree with that? Do you think that's a fair assessment? This is what we're looking at here. Okay, so question. Let's, let's, let's go back to the Bible now. So we're back in Genesis and say, okay, so we've talked about Pentecostalism, how it began with this assumption that speaking in tongues means you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. You see examples of people filled with the Spirit in the Bible who spoke, spoke in, in tongues, but not everybody did. So you can't, you can't put it together. And then you see the tongues today that linguists are looking at. And, and I've seen videos, I've watched videos of people speaking on tongues and then being interpreted. And it was blasphemies were coming out of their lips. But the linguists who looked at a huge amount of data, that was not their conclusion. Maybe it's the videos I saw. What they saw was just unintelligible speech. Okay, now, question. Let's go back to the Bible now. So we're look, we've looked at the history of, uh, of it, we've taken of, of Pentecostalism, we've taken a look at what linguists are saying, now let's take a look at the Bible, we're going to do a lot of looking at the Bible here. So we're going to move quickly, it's all to Genesis chapter 9, we have a lot to go through. So Genesis chapter 9, how did tongues begin? The first mention of tongues is where, does anybody know? Tower of Babel, you are correct. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and wash, replenish. What's, what's, what do I say that means? Yeah. Fill the earth. They were to fill the earth. Did they do what they were told? No. They resisted. Okay? Not saying Noah resisted, but, but their sons and sons and sons and sons of those sons and their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. They resisted. They wanted to stay together. Genesis chapter 11. Okay, so Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. So we're just going to go around and circle it. Uh, Mary, can you read Genesis chapter 11, verse 1? And the whole earth was of one language and of one state. Verse 2. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Okay, so they wanted to unify together, they wanted to stay together, and unified they would begin one world religion. Verse 4, who's next? So scholars say that this was a ziggurat. They have examples of it. They see they've unearthed archaeologically uh, ziggurats, and there was a temple at the bottom, but there was a tower to the top, and this ziggurat was where they would where they would worship the, the gods of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all that type of stuff. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to have this idolatrous one world religion. But God wanted to break up their unity. Verse 5. Verse 7. 
Yes, please. So to let it, uh, go to let it go again, and then to So God wanted to break up their unity, and what did God do? He confounded their languages, which means he jumbled up their languages, and I, I studied this in, in seminary. It was actually really interesting. You can see the jumbled up words can, are brought into another language, and it's basically the Hebrew words jumbled up. It's really, really interesting. Anyway, that's another day's conversation. But God confounded their language, and he gave them new languages. This was judgment. This was judgment. These languages divided the earth according to tongue. So this was the table of the nations was, was, was decided here. And the nations were divided all throughout the earth based on language. Okay? And that's what, you see, where do we get our different, different languages from? How come there's French and German and all that type of stuff? All these languages began, their root languages began at Tower of Babel. And God just divided people from that point, and then they did what they were told in the first place, what they were shouldn't have done in the first place, they were divided. <clears throat> but tongues were a sign of God's judgment upon the world. Do you see that? Some tongues, a sign of judgment. Now that's a theme throughout scripture. Tongues are a sign of judgment, okay? So, so the first mention of tongues is the Tower of Babel. Then tongues was also a sign of judgment for the Jews. Isaiah 28. Let's go to Isaiah, please. Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, so we're going to follow this through, Isaiah 28. So God declared his indignation against Israel, verse 1, because they erred, verse 7, and they were unclean, verse 8. So then what did God say he would do? Verse 11, please next read, Isaiah 28, verse 11, please. So stammering lips and another tongue. So this is tongues being used as a sign of judgment. So the carrier of these languages would be Assyrians for the Israel. Okay, they were going to bring Israel into captivity, and then they would be um, the Babylonians for Judah. They were using a different language. Okay, so with another tongue, God would bring judgment by people of another tongue. Okay, and uh, we see that in Isaiah thirty-three nineteen. We don't have the time to turn there. So tongues. Was God's judgment upon the world in Genesis 11, and we see in Genesis 28 is God's judgment upon the Jews. You see a theme of judgment in Babel, judgment upon Israel because they turned away from God. Do you see that? You following this? Am I going too fast or am I doing okay? Because we have a lot to go through, that's why I'm sort of moving. Slow me down if I'm going too fast, okay? So, so tongues were clearly the native languages that divided, nation, uh, that divided nations. So when God confounded the languages in, 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 on Babel, in Babel, they all had the different languages. They were languages of the nations. When Babylon came in with another tongue, on, as, with this tongue to, and they were people of a stammering lips and a different tongue to judge Israel, their language was Iraqi, okay? Babylonian, whatever language they spoke, whatever they called it, okay? And then Assyria had, had, the Assyrians had their language, do you understand? These, these were tongues of nations. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. So tongues were first mentioned in Babel. They were for judgment of the Jews. And they were for the authentication of the church. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> So the, the followers of Jesus were in Jerusalem, 
According to Acts chapter 1, what were they doing in Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus? Why, why were the disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem? Acts chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 2. Why were they there? Yeah, what was that? They were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. They were praying for the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. Would, would we agree with that? Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 2 now. Acts chapter 2. So the coming of the Spirit then was testified. Now, this is very, very important. Let's actually read Acts chapter 2, verse 2, 3, and 4. Who's next to read? Brother Brandon. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared as them troubles who was like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Finally, verse 4. As they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with now this is Pentecost. It's unique. There is never going to be a Pentecost ever again. There was only one Pentecost. There will never be a repeat of this. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was a once-off event, okay, in history. Now, what was unique about the, the, the coming of tongues on the, on the day of Pentecost? What, what were the signs of the tongues? What were the tongues a, a, a accompanied by? What do we see in verse 2? Okay, well the Holy Spirit was coming, but, but what were they accompanied by? The fire? What else? I can't hear? Is that Okay, and, and, and the, the cloven tongue of fire was upon each of the disciples, it was very visible. Look, if everybody had a fire over their head, I, I, I'd be freaking out or something, you know? It'd be very different, it'd be very visible, wouldn't it? But there was, there was, there was a, a closing of fire, a tongue of fire, but what else was there apart from that? There was a sound, like a hurricane. This never happens again. It was a once-off event, brethren. It was a once-off event with a mighty rushing wind, with the, with the cloven tongues, and what else did we, what else did we see here? Uh, the visible, and, and then infilling of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, can we be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit, yeah? Amen. We need to be. But the Holy Spirit was descending. This was a once-off event because the Spirit had finally come. So this was being authentic. This was the authentication. God was saying, I'm with this. I'm in this. The Holy Spirit is coming. This is not... If you're, if you're wondering, don't wonder. You see, can't you see here the wind that's rushing? Miraculous, right? Can't you see the cloven tongues, the fire all over everybody's head? Would the believers in any day, was there any question that the Spirit had come? No. no, God was making it extremely clear. Aren't you glad that God makes things clear? No confusion. There was no confusion. Okay. So the, things were, the tongues were understood by the Jews. Now this is interesting. Look at verse 6. So who's next to read verse 6, please? Now, now when it was so noise and God, the multitude came together and were confided. Now this is the tongues of the Bible. The tongues of the Bible was what? Speech. Proper speech. Proper speech. In every instance where tongues are practiced in the Bible without contradiction, without error, without without any what's the word I'm looking for? Help me here. Ambiguity. Ambiguity is another good word. It's always a human language. Every single time. So for people to say, well, we can come out with unintelligible speech, prove it. 
The burden of proof is not on me. I, it's not my job to prove you wrong. My job is, this is what the Bible says. I believe the Bible in every instance of tongues from Babel to Isaiah with the Babylonians and the Assyrians coming to, to bring Israel into captivity. Book of Acts. Languages. You with me here? Okay. Very, very, very important, brother. Very, very important. Okay. Pastor, yes, go ahead. Were they all able to understand what, each, what they were saying? They couldn't, necessarily, unless they had the gift of interpretation. First Corinthians is going to deal with that. They were speaking in tongues miraculously, but the key thing was that the listeners could understand. Because the, the speaking in tongues wasn't for the person speaking, it was for the benefit of the person listening. And again, what was the purpose of tongues? We've said it a couple of times already. What was the purpose, the primary purpose of tongues in the Bible? In Babel and in Isaiah. What, what, what was it for? A sign of what? A sign of judgment. Now it did authenticate a Pentecost. But how is this judgment, brother? This is really, really important. How is this judgment on the Jews again? Because they don't have the exclusive Hebrew Bible anymore. They have the Bible in every language. That's one. The okay, the Gospels will be able to that, that, That's one. Anybody else? They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah. So God was laying Israel aside. Extremely important. This is dispensationalism. God was laying aside the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament that was the Old Covenant. And how did Jesus ratify the New Testament? What did he do? What did Jesus do to ratify the New Testament? What is that? Okay, he, he proved it by tearing the temple, ripping the temple from top to bottom, right? When he rose again from the, when, when he died, should I say, right? But he ratified, without the shedding of blood is no remission. He ratified the Old Testament with his precious blood, and he, he, he made it visible for all to see by the resurrection and the object lesson, the temple being ripped from, from top to bottom. Are you with me here? God was saying, I'm no longer working with the Jews, judgment on the Jews. What was the last thing the Jews said as they nailed Jesus to a cross? They said, his blood be upon us and our, they curse themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God says, okay, you recognize what you're doing. I'm no longer dealing with you, just judgment on the Jews. I'm working now with complete Jews. Amen? A complete Jew is what? A born again Christian. Exactly, complete Jews. So again, it's still the theme of judgment all the way through Acts chapter 2. So like with Babel and Isaiah, the tongues were native tongues. <clears throat> that divided nations, and those nations are are mentioned, by the way, verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these speak Galileans? I mean, what do they know? They're from Galilee, you know? And how here we speak every man in our own language, our own tongue. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, they, you go through all the names and the different areas they're from with their own native tongue, and they can hear their own language being spoken by ignorant Galileans. Miraculous. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the one and only instance in Scripture where script where where God gave them all a gift of tongues so that, for the purpose of evangelism. Now that was Parham's doctrine. Remember we said that. But the problem was it didn't work in practice. The, the Pentecostal groups began missions and sent people out missionaries, but didn't go. They didn't go to language school. Guess what happened when they went to different countries? What happened? What do you think happened? This is history, history folks. They didn't go to language school. They sent them out to the different countries to evangelize. What happened? What do you think happened? Different countries. They didn't know the language. They were expecting to have their gift of tongues. And what do you think happened? They couldn't communicate. They had to go back and learn the language. And then they changed their doctrine. 
they've changed their gut, they've changed the, their view of tongues because it didn't work. But I'm just saying to you, that's because it's, this, this tongues thing doesn't happen anymore, brethren, because what we're seeing today is not what we see in Scripture. Do we understand this? Okay, we're following this through. Okay. So like with I, Babel and Isaiah, uh, the tongues were native tongues. Uh, just like Isaiah, the tongues were a sign of judgment upon Israel, a sign to the Jews that Judaism, as they knew it, would be replaced by Christianity. Okay. The dispensation of the law was now being replaced by the New Testament. The sign of the tongues was repeated then to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. We won't turn there, we don't have time. It was then repeated again um, for believing Jews who had not yet understood the gospel, Acts chapter 19. Again, we've got too much to go through. I can't focus there. But people say, but what about the church? Did the Corinthian church have tongues going on? That's good. I'm glad you asked that question, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to spend the last 15 minutes in First Corinthians, okay? Now, I know I'm moving quickly. If I'm moving too fast, slow me down. First Corinthians 12. Are we all okay? Are we following this? Yes. First Corinthians chapter 12. This is being recorded, and you can look at it later, okay? First Corinthians chapter 12. Now, tongues were permitted for the edification of believers. Was tongues, was the primary purpose of tongues for believers? Yes or no? No. What was the primary purpose of tongues? We've said it all the way through. What was that? Yeah, and what was the purpose of tongues? Judgment. It was judgment for the for the nations for unifying in Acts chapter sorry Genesis eleven. Judgment on the Jews in Acts chapter uh, sorry Isaiah chapter twenty three verse eleven, and then judgment again on the nation of Israel because they rejected the Messiah. Acts chapter two. Okay, so judgment, judgment, judgment. But God allowed the gift of tongues during that apostolic era for the edification of believers for a time. We all know tongues died out. Everybody admits it because Agnes Osman was, was her name is in lights. We all know what it died out. But he allowed it for the edification of believers for a time. Okay, it was one of the first gifts of the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 12. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Bible says now these are the diverse there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit uh, there are differences of administrations but the same Lord and then we go down to verse 10 to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of the tongues so when the Holy Spirit gave gifts at the beginning and we are going to call them sign gifts. He gave tongues and the interpretation of tongues at the beginning. We all follow that? First Corinthians chapter 12. God gave those gifts to the early church. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. He's next to read. Okay, verse 23 says, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon those we bestow more abundant honor. And it goes on and says more things. And then it go down to verse 28. Who's next? Now what's at the top of the list? What's at the bottom of the list? Very, very, the order is very, very, very important. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? No, the apostles are very limited, but very, very, the apostles were the most important gift of the church at the beginning. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Because the apostles gave us the word of God, the New Testament, amen? amen. The apostles and apostolic associates. That's how we know how to live the Christian life, because the work of the apostles. They were number one, but what's at the bottom of the list? Tongues. And we follow that theme. There's that theme. Paul brings that theme all the way through to chapter 13. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay. Verse 1. Who's next to read, please? So according to verse 1, what's much more important than tongues? Charity. charity. What's charity? Love. God's love, isn't it? Verse 2. Who's next read? And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all things, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So what's more important than prophesying and faith? Charity. Trumps it all, doesn't it? Okay? Charity is much more important than all these things. So, love is eternal. The Bible says in verse 4, Charity suffered long, is kind, and is not. And, look, and, and verse 8, who's next? Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So the Bible says that in verse 8, Charity never fails. Charity is eternal. Everything else is temporary. Are you with me here? All these sign gifts were temporary. God's love is eternal. Who can give you a verse that, that we can rejoice in, that we all know, which talks about the eternality of God's love? John 3.16. Aren't you glad for John 3.16 in your Bible? That's what, what's more important than God's love for us? And this is what Paul is bringing out here. As he's teaching the Corinthians, love trumps everything. Every gift, every sacrificial act of, of man, <clears throat> love is eternal, but the temporary gifts will cease. The read it already. Verse 18, we'll just read it one more time. Whether there be prophecies, they shall. Whether there be tongues, they shall. Whether there be knowledge, it shall. The Bible says these temporary gifts would end. And I submit to you, they have ended. And what has replaced it 1900 years later is not the same what was back there. Would you agree with that? Does that make sense? What's called tongues today is not the same as what's called tongues in the Bible. Is that clear? I think that's pretty clear. Because what's called tongues in the Bible is a real language that people spoke. Does that make sense? What's called tongues today is not a real language. Linguists have studied it and uh, and if there are real languages, what are they saying? <laughs> That's a really important question. What are they saying? You can make up stuff, can't you? And actually say real things in a different language, not real languages. Isn't that true? But Paul. Sorry to clarify that because uh, when you talk about uh, what's it called in the Atma Apostle chapter 10, when Cornelius and our spoke to this spoken tongue, what language they speak? And also in the Act of Apostles chapter 8. Yeah. When Simon, they call Peter, and then, is it chapter or chapter or whatever? Yeah, chapter 8, yeah. And then they spoke in tongue there as well. Because yeah. Simon, the sorcerer, yeah. when you see that Peter laid hand on them, they started speaking in tongue, and look at them mourning. They were all like What language are they speaking there? Because yeah, well, the Bible doesn't always tell the language. But we see clearly 
several times the theme there's, a, there's an interpretation of scripture interpreting scripture does what's called the law of first mention in other words how is that word first used in the bible and you follow the theme all the way through and it makes sense so the first mention of tongues in the bible is what Babel, Tarabel. They were real languages. Then just say, okay, is this working for us? Next is Isaiah chapter 28. Were they real languages? Were they? Acts chapter 28? When 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 uh, the stammering tongue and the and the, 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 the stammering lips and the foreign tongue, these were the Babylonians and, and the Assyrians. That was a real language, right? Yeah. Acts chapter 2, were they real languages? Yeah. So we're following all the way through. So so when, when we already have very clear scripture. Then we just interpret the scripture that doesn't say anything, that doesn't comment on it, because there's no need to comment on it, because it's already been proven in the other scriptures. It's, it's, it's clear. Does that make sense? So we're following it all the way through. Okay. So, uh, so, so the, what is the great, this is really interesting. Okay. Let's go to verse 9. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. Was the Bible complete when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians? No. No, no definitely wasn't. What's the last book of the Bible ever written? Revelation. Revelation. Okay, so, the, so 1 Corinthians was, was right in there. It was like the middle of the New Testament era. In fact, in the earlier part, really, to be honest, it was 50-something AD. Okay, Revelation was written about 95 AD, thereabouts. So we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So the purpose of the prophesying was to make up what we didn't know. Would you make, does that make sense? was to make up their lack of knowledge, that's verse 9, okay? Many assume the completed Bible is the perfect referred to in verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Many Because it's in the neuter sense, it's not talking about Jesus, it's that. So many believe that would be the Bible. I would be one of those people that I believe that's the Bible. When that which is perfect is done, there's no need. But history bears it out. Because the tongues were only during the apostolic era. And the gifts, all those sign gifts, the prophesying, all the healings, was only during the apostolic era. Okay? When it was when they were prevalent, when it was everywhere. Okay? I'm only dealing with tongues talk tonight, okay? Not the other issues, we'll deal with them later. Okay. Verse 11. I think this is very, very interesting. So he's <coughs> talking about the temporary sign gifts, and we're talking about tongues in particular. He says, when I was a child. And he's saying that the purpose of the sign gifts were because we don't have the full scripture, verse 9. But he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. So in my youth, I, 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 I had a childish way of thinking because I didn't have the full picture. But he says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And the inference there is, going back to the sign gifts when you have the completed revert. The whole scriptures is childish. Because you don't need them. You have the full picture. We have everything here. Okay? We have everything in this. And to be honest with you, mature Christians don't need that. What do we need for maturity? Help me here, brethren. All scriptures give my inspiration of God. Properly for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, righteous, that the man of God may be Everything. This is our perspective, brethren. Everything we need is straight in the Bible. And if you have everything you need in the Bible, why do you need to be looking for sign gifts like tongues and all that type of stuff? Because what are you missing? We're not God says we're not missing anything. That's good enough for me. Would you, would you agree with that? That's, where, that's my position. What the Bible says, I'm really happy with that, okay? So we don't need to childish things. And then while faith and hope and charity 
are mature things. The childish things are the sign gifts, but the mature things are verse, verse 13. He wants to read that. And now arise, babe, hold charity, discreet, but so if the childish things are the sign gifts like tongues, the mature things are faith, trusting God, hope, which is trusting God in the future, and charity, which is God's love. But what's the most important thing for us as Christians to focus on? That's what that's what we are. That's where we're that's where we're headed as Christians. To love people the way we should. The greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your If that's not the direction we're headed in, then we're headed the wrong direction. Would you agree with that? It's all about love. It's all about God's love working in our lives. Okay, so, but in the meantime, the gift of tongues were still operational during the apostolic era when 1 Corinthians was. So the Apostle Paul in chapter 14 gave them rules for how they could use their gifts. But he made some things that were, some comments that were very interesting because we're running out of time. I want to make some, I just want to read through this quickly. Verse 1, chapter 14. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. So prophesying is always referring to preaching, okay? Preaching the word of God. So what's more important, a sign gift or the preaching of the word? Does that make sense? The preaching of the word is, is, is paramount. Preaching ministers to all, while tongues minister only to the individual. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man no understands them, he may not even understand himself. He he that, but he that prophesies, verse 3, speaketh unto men to edification. So it's, and this happened, brethren. We had so many years ago who came in here and started speaking in tongues. It was Latvian. I asked him to close in prayer, and his English wasn't as good as his Latvian, so he spoke, he spoke in Latvian. I don't know if anybody in here was here at the time, but he, he prayed in Latvian. And look, it was a blessing to hear him speak. I had a clue what he said. I said, Amen, but he could have been, been cursing me from the boat, but I don't know what he said. Okay, I'm joking. But the point is this. He spoke in a different language. How can you say Amen when you have no idea what somebody's saying? You with me here. Now, he was blessed. But I wasn't blessed. I mean, I was blessed because you prayed. But I would have been more blessed when you were saying. Do you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the whole purpose. That's what Paul is saying here. Preaching ministers to tongue, while tongues minister just to the individual. And only interpretation validates the foreign tongue. Verse 5. I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater see the prophesy than he that speak with tongues, except the interpreter. If it's interpretation, then the tongues make sense. If there's interpretation, then the tongues, the tongues have validity. If there's no interpretation, there is no validity to the tongues. Does that make sense? Okay, verse 5 really clearly brings that out. Lots of stuff here, um, it, uh, and it does nothing for the hearer, verse 6 to 11. You can read this in your own time. Preaching is thousands. Now, do the maths. Preaching is thousands of times more valuable than tongues. Look at verse 19. Somebody read that for me. Who's next? Verse 19. So how many thousand times is preaching more valuable than tongues? What's the maths? Two thousand. Two thousand. That's what God says in his word. Preaching is two thousand times more valuable. Fifty-two sermons a year every Sunday. Yeah, that's 
Yeah. <laughs> it's more important than tongues because tongues doesn't do anything for every 45 years. You can do that after you retire. Yeah. But you, but you get the point, don't you? You get the point. Tongues don't have, they don't have value. Paul really brings it out. When tongues were practiced, they had to follow strict rules. That's the end of it. I'm not going to go through that. Okay. Now, everybody admits that tongues cease, even if they say they're non-cessationists. When they say they're non-cessationists, they, what they really mean is, we know tongues cease, but we believe they started again with Agnes Osman and, of, in 1901. That's what they really believe, okay? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 says that they would cease. They did. But the question is, did they re-emerge under the leadership of Charles Parham? Did Agnes Osmond speak in tongues in 1901? Did William Seymour speak in tongues in 1906? If so, what did they say? What was the interpretation so that they could follow the order Paul gave in Corinthians? There was no interpretation going on. And I submit to you the reason why there was no interpretation going on because it was Babel. That would be my place. Now, you say, that's, that's, that's judging them. Okay, I'm quoting the linguists. Linguists who study to say it's Babel, I'm with them. Doesn't make sense to me. And if it does make sense, interpret what he's saying. Does that make sense? Are you with me here? Were their tongues human languages like those of Babel or of Isaiah, of Acts 2? Or were they unintelligible Babel that resembled their mother tongue? Can the tongues of Pentecostalism that linguists put in the same category as shamans be seriously considered to be biblical? And that's my question I ask you. Can that be considered to be biblical? From what we've seen this morning, can you say that the tongues of Pentecostalism is biblical? Can you, can you deduce that? Yes, go Yeah, I don't think, well, I, don't, I mean, it's just there. I don't know what I'm saying. What Bible says, and I want you to emphasize, is that if you are speaking in tongues, you don't need to give interpretation. Correct. You cannot give interpretation if you try. But mostly the reason why people, the Pentecostal pastors, speak in tongues is just to see themselves to be more spiritual than you, to, to enslave you. You understand? Because when you see them speaking in tongues, they say, anointing pouring, oh, they are men of God, they receive from God, and just to deceive. Because that's that's the teaching of Charles Parham, isn't it? Parham said, if you're, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. But the irony is, of all the gifts, what gift is put at the bottom of the list? And, and they're taking the bottom of the list gift and saying it makes them more spiritual than somebody else. That, do you not think that's a bit yeah. ironic? No, it does to deceive people. It deceives people who don't read the Bible. So. The other end of the stick is uh, if someone wants to speak tongues in here, give me a biblical reason why they should be speaking yeah. tongues. And if they can do that, yeah. fine, go for it. Yeah. But there has to be a biblical reason. We have biblical reasons for doing everything, particularly yeah. stuff that, that might make, make other people feel comfortable, like the Lord's Supper or yeah. baptism or whatever. But let's not contort it. And brethren, let's not try and make this fit into the Bible when it doesn't fit. Have you ever had a puzzle that you're doing and you had a piece and you knew it should go in there but it just didn't? And you try to force it in and it just makes the puzzle all skewed. You can't fit pieces of the puzzle where they don't belong. Are you with me here? And the tongues practice today just doesn't fit into what we see in the Bible. It just doesn't. And, and I'm not trying to give an opinion here. It just doesn't. You know? They're not real languages. So, 
If the tongues practiced in the Old Testament and New Testament were languages of other nations, how can Pentecostals believe that their tongues are biblical if they're not languages of other nations? The simple answer is they're not biblical, and the burden is not on us to try and prove them wrong. The burden is on them to say, you're saying it's biblical, show me from the Bible how it is. Show me how it's a real language. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, question. Last question, and we're finished. We've gone over time. Thank you for your patience. Is there any harm in tongues? Well, what, what, what Pentecostals call tongues. And Mormons, I mean, look, shamans, all those people, snake handlers, all those people, because it's all in the same category. It could be. Let me just put it this way. Let's be kind. If it's gobbledygook, like the linguist says, gobbledygook, that makes no sense. If it really is, then it's harmless, it's just silly. Would you agree with that? If it's gobbledygook and it has no meaning at all, it's senseless, meaningless. Now we're going to a different realm here. Yeah, you see, if they're going into a trance and they're going to a realm, then what's this influence? Now that's a diff that's a difference that's a different point. Because if we don't go into a trance and they're and they're and they're shaking and they're under an influence, if it's not a biblical language or if it's not a, a human language, there's no way you can say it's of the Holy Spirit. So then if it's not of the Holy Spirit, then who, 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 what influence is there? That would be a very important question. That would be important. Who, who, where's the influence coming from? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Seduce the spirit to the Test the spirits. Try the spirits. Now the Bible says we need to try the spirits. Okay. And here's the other thing. What are they saying? I remember there was a lady years ago and she was struggling with tongues and she said, I just, and she went from what, uh, struggling with pre not saying, speaking in tongues in church to then saying, well, I just do it privately. And I asked her the question. I said, what are you saying? She said, I don't know. I said, does that not scare you? And it did. <laughs> she stopped there and then. That's a blessing. We teach our children, don't say words unless you know what you're saying. Because you could be saying something horrible. And they're only little kids. They don't, there's, you know the kids will rhyme and they'll say words and they'll just make up words and, they could, and then they'd say a curse word. They didn't know it was a curse word. But it's because they were experimenting. Tongues is experimenting, isn't it? Isn't it? And, it's not, and, and uh, every believer should be very careful about what they're saying. Would you agree with is, is, Do I have Bible on that? Let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak, <coughs> slow to laugh. I think we need to be careful what we say. So, so brethren, we know everybody knows tongue ceased. I submit to you this evening, it did not reemerge with Agnes Osmond. And under teaching of Charles Parham, I do I reject the teaching of Pentecostalism regarding tongues because of a lack of biblical foundation. Well, if someone is speaking tongue, I know that person is Okay, well, here's the question. If somebody wants to speak in tongues, I say, hold on a sec, let me get my phone out. If somebody wants to interpret, I want to record that. I believe in fact-checking. And if somebody's student signs up and speaks and somebody else wants to interpret, I will go to a linguist and I'll say, okay, is, is this a real language? Because people make up stuff, don't they? Because it makes them feel spiritual. I want to know what's real. 
We know Chong ceased. History records it. We know what emerged with Pentecostalism does not mean, does not at all agree with what scripture has. And the, here's the next question, why? Why would tongues reemerge? Because they did what they were supposed to do. They were showing judgment to the Jews, and they were authenticating the church as God's new uh, uh, instrument through which he was gonna work, right? That's what it's supposed to, that's what it did. And nobody has successfully gone around with a, a new mission agency saying, let's speak in tongues, let's, 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 let's evangelize the world, we never have to go to language school. No, they tried it. It doesn't work. So it's not real. It's not real. Everything is against it. Does that make sense? Any more? These are great questions. Any more questions? I remember Evan Williams told me years, told us years ago from this church that when uh, when he decided to go to Lanzarote, he didn't speak Spanish, and he said when he went down there, he found it so easy to learn. He just picked it up like that. He said it's not a great language, but that was great. I got to speak a foreign tongue, and the Lord enabled him. There's no doubt. Do you believe if God wants you to go to a certain country to give the ability and the grace, even yeah. if you're rotten languages, do you think he'll give you the grace to be able to do it? Yeah, I believe that. Where God guides, God provides. Would you, wouldn't you agree with that? Don't we believe God is personal? He wants to work in our lives? But that's not the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not the same as, 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 as what Pentecostalism teaches. And it's not a proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit either. Okay? That, I reject that. I just want the Bible, I want the truth. I don't see how it could be called harmless. Mm -hmm. Because to whom you yield yourself service, but you don't know what you're yielding to when you speak your own tongue. Yeah. I mean, even a born again Christian, what are you yielding to? What yeah. authority or power are you yielding to? I like to know what I'm yielding to. I know, like to know whom I'm obeying. Would you agree with that? That's really important. You want to know what influences you're allowing. You can be deceived. All of us have been deceived. When it comes to prayer, you read certain God is going to do something, and you were wrong. How many in here were really certain God was going to do something, and you were wrong? All of us, probably. You know what it's like. We can be wrong. Or even getting carried away in prayer and then saying something inappropriate to the Lord. We can get caught up with emotions and it's called being human. Okay, that's what you need to go back to the spirit of the Lord as the prophets are subjects of prophets. Yes, I'm Oh, Bill Paul asked that question. I, it's not part of tonight's study, so I'd have to look at that again. But um, again, the purpose of the tongues, the tongues were given Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, and God was showing himself to different groups. It's authentication. The church is now the new era. So, so again, if that answers your question, it was, it, was, it was basically the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a very specific purpose. Pastor, can we say that uh, what you church is under the control of the Catholic? You understand? When the church is considered a global church, that is Catholicism. You understand? Maybe they don't have that idea. And then, so when the Reformation started having, people started having the Bible, and they started reading the Bible by themselves, yeah. and they now reading all those things that how it happened. And then now, okay, this thing happened in the Bible. Yeah. Because so we can pray, and God can do it, because in those in those era of Catholicism, not everybody have access to Bible. So the Bible is very rich to bring to us. Where there's ignorance is always going to be error. There always is. But God is gracious. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, um, 
when, when I, I love this when when George Whitfield went to America and preached the gospel. He's from England when he went to America and preached the gospel. Uh, he was a Congregationalist or something like that. He wasn't a Baptist. He didn't believe in baptism, and uh, he, he preached the gospel. He had, saw many converts. He returned to, to England, came back to America several years later, and he made the statement: "All my chickens have become ducks." They were baptized. They went underneath the water because they read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, so the thing is that we all have to learn by studying the Bible, and God straightens us out, and God knows how to straighten us out when we are in error. But the question is, do we have a heart to be straightened out? Because some people get caught up with the error and love the emotional experience and then get caught up in error and then things go the wrong way. And emotionalism always kills revivals. Historically, revivals have, have always died with, with emotionalism. But truth has always kept a revival going. The longest standing revival, probably of all time, is the Sandy Creek Revival. It started, it lasted 100 years. It was a very slow revival. 10,000 Baptist churches were started in the southern part of the United States through the Sandy Creek Revival, and they became the Bible Belt of America. Because they stuck to the word of God. Truth will keep revival going. Emotionalism will kill it. And that's why it's so important stick with truth. Does that make sense? Okay, we're way over time. Great time. Thank you so much everyone for the Bible study. Let's go to